Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Stories from outside our borders. Jonathan de Burke Butler joins us once again. Afternoon, Jonathan. Sean, how are you getting on? Uh, right, Angola we're going to go to uh, first. Uh, quite a close election result there now. Surprisingly so, yeah. um, because there is one party that has been in power for the last 50 years. It's the MPLA. And it's interesting because the, the two main parties in Angola are the MPLA and UNITA, OK? And they are more or less the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael of mm-hmm. that country, right? Yeah. They were formed during that country's very, very long civil war, uh, which started in 1975 and didn't end until t- 2002. It was kind of on and off sort of a thing. But anyway... For the last 20 years or so, there's been peace, but these two parties have been at Mm. each other, right? And it was one of those classic African wars where it was a proxy war between, you know, the free world and the commies, all right? In this case, the commies won, actually, and and they've been hanging on for the last 50 years. Not that they've been particularly communist, to be honest. But anyway, um, the it was expected to be close. And, and that's, I think, what was interesting about it. But it wasn't as close as the opposition were hoping, right? And, and it doesn't seem to be the case that there was any funny business as such, right? So there was expectations that there might have been a bit of violence after yeah. this. But the UNITA, while they've said that they're not happy with the result and they may go to the high court and or very a constitutional court and ask for recount or whatever it might be, they have asked people to stay calm and not to and and, and for there to be no violence, right? That said, even though the MPLA won, they won by a far narrower margin than they did in the last election, right? So yeah. their share of the vote has gone down from 61% to about 51 and UNITA's share of the vote went from 27% up to 44 So the gap is narrowing, all right? Um, but uh, João Lorenzo, who is the president, will get a second five-year term and uh, will carry on with his anti-corruption drive, as he calls it, and... Uh, trying to get uh, the country back on some sort of a, 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 into a decent shape. I mean, it's not in great shape. Yeah. And given how wealthy it is, it should be a hell of a lot better off. Yeah, because there's a lot of natural resources. Yeah, there. yeah. Diamonds and oil and all sorts of different things. But you've got an employment rate there of 30% and 60% unemployment rate, unemployment rate, sorry, uh, amongst uh, people between the ages of 16 and 24. So so that's where an awful lot of the opposition vote came for, came came from. Um, the more youthful uh, side of um, Angolan society. Yeah, and and in terms of the corruption, uh, Africa's yeah. richest woman lives there? Yeah, which I'm not sure she's there anymore. So this is harping back to the people who were in power for a good few years, um, the Dos Santos family. We we used to talk about them all yeah, the time, did, actually. Yeah. When, I, yeah. when I looked at this and I saw that Jao Lorenzo has actually been, the new president has been in power since 2017. I was shocked. <laughs> I couldn't believe that the Dos Santos have been, have been out of the picture for the last five years. And actually the father, jo, uh, José Eduardo, who was president, he actually died and the body was repatriated to Angola last week. So that was kind of a sideshow mm. uh, that was going on at the same time. But the new president, Jao Lorenzo, has been trying his best to target Dos Santos and the family and um, uh, bring them in and, and throw them in jail for what is perceived to be uh, corruption, really. I mean, yeah. they, they are extremely wealthy family. And um, 
you know, there's more to run in that particular saga. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I suppose it's a kind of a hopeful sign in terms of it's good for the democracy that, that uh, it seemed to be actual democratic process at work. Spot on, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, right, Bulgaria we're going to get uh, get to uh, next and uh, as re- relief for someone who burned their Russian passport. Yes, this is a businessman entrepreneur by the name of Alexei Alchin. He's about 46 years of age and he, back in February, just as the invasion of the Ukraine was getting underway uh, went I don't know whether he did it online he certainly did it very publicly he burnt his passport now this is a guy it has to be said who was a businessman in Russia but moved to Bulgaria in 2014 has been living there since he lives in the third largest city which is on the coast of the Black Sea it's a place called Varna beautiful place and uh, he's been happily living there. So it it was unlikely that he was going back to Russia anytime soon. But anyway, this was very much a statement. And the Russians, as you know, aren't happy about people who are from Russia talking out Mm. against the war, right? So all of a sudden, charges that had been levelled against him in around about 2015, so shortly after he, he left, tax evasion charges seem to reappear, seem to (laughs) resurface, right? So these are tax evasion charges that go back to 2015. The investigation itself started in 2018, but there was no application for extradition until August of this year or Mm. until the middle of this year, right? So it's very much connected to what he did with that passport. Originally, a court in Varna accepted the uh, application for for extradition and they were going to send him abroad back to Russia. Uh, But that was appealed. uh, Fair enough, I think. And um, thankfully, I think in his case, he has won that appeal and he's not going to be sent back. But it's interesting because, you know, the Russian authorities are are trying to get as many of these people back as they can. Mm -hmm. But it's not being successful, particularly not through European countries. He would have been the first person to be sent back home through European or EU country um, had it been successful. But right. Uh, and one assumes that he could have uh, um, kept appealing further up the chain anyway. Within Europe, yeah, if, exactly. If he could have gone to higher European courts and would have kept mm. on going. But what's interesting about this is that it can't be, it stops now and it can't be appealed the other way. Mm. Okay. Um, so that's the end of it. And yeah. now people are looking for him to get asylum within the country as well. So it's it's a bit of a win for uh, and a poke in the eye for uh, for Russia particularly in Bulgaria who don't get on very well with yeah, the Russians Yeah, but you anyway. should avoid people with umbrellas and that kind of thing for, for the next week <laughs> while. Yes. Uh, right, Canada we're going to go to next. So explain, Jonathan, what is the bilingual bonus? The bilingual bonus is a measure that was brought in, it was established in 1966, but wasn't for some reason rolled out until 1977, right? And what this means is that people who speak or who use both English and French when they're working in the civil service get paid 800 Canadian dollars a year, right? Okay. So it was 800 Canadian dollars back in 1977 and it hasn't changed since, right? Oh. Now, what's interesting about this is that, uh, there's been a lot of... Lately, when we've been talking about Canada, actually quite a bit, we've been talking about the reconciliation with Indigenous tribes. Mm. There's been all various different strands, land disputes, awful stuff going on with the Catholic Church uh, and that kind of thing. But this this grew out of a um, a request from some to try and include people who use their indigenous languages when they're working in the civil service to get this $800 bonus as well, which hmm. would seem fair enough. There's 60 different indigenous languages, would you believe, in Canada. And they're sort of saying, well, I go in and I speak whatever Inuit or whatever it might be with my local people and they don't want to converse or can't converse in English and French so why am I getting the bonus? 
So they asked for it, yeah. but they're not getting it. The Treasury Board has basically said that it has no plans to broaden scope of bilingualism, the bilingualism bonus to include Indigenous languages. And as you can imagine, there's quite a few people who are not happy about that. Yeah, I, I would imagine given that, you know, as as you've said, this is something that we've been talking about quite a lot recently. It's becoming more and more a growing issue within Canada that maybe it's not the time to react in such a... A, a bland way to that request. Particularly when the numbers you're talking about are so small. You're talking about $800 for 500 people. Yes. So you yeah. think as a gesture of goodwill and to keep the ball rolling on that sort of path to recon- reconciliation, they just bite the bullet and sort of go, well, you know what, why not? Yeah. Uh, but they're not doing it. Okay. Uh, is there any kind of further appeal trade unions could take or anything of that nature? Uh, well, there is a trade union there. I think it's the Public Service Alliance of Canada has a, a membership of about 120,000, something like that. And those 500 would be members of that grouping. I don't know if, if all of them are, but I'm sure most of them would be. Um, there's been pushback from them, but as to whether they'll go out on strike because of it, I don't know. But, you know, now that it's out in the open, it, it could well be something that, you know, is taken up. Yeah. Right, uh, America. Now this is an odd one. Uh, do we? We do have a clip of this, yeah. So I suppose let's play the clip first, just so people know what it is we're talking about. Hi, this is Alex from the Customer Service Aid. How are you today? Great to hear. I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for asking. So how can I help you today? I'm so sorry about that. I'll be glad to help you. Can I get your full name, phone number, and address to check in on that order? Right, okay. Now we'll explain, uh, or Jonathan will explain uh, exactly what this is. This is an accent modifier that's an been developed. An accent modifier that has been developed by a Silicon Valley startup uh, called Sanus, okay? And it's it's very interesting, right? They're, they're saying that they've started this and they're using this to overcome accent based prejudice and reduce racist abuse faced by staff, okay? This is okay. their. Uh, modus operandi, shall we say, or the reason for doing it. And I, I suppose it's you should look at it from the point of view, the co-founders are all immigrants. Okay, so okay. The, 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 the name of the guy who started this is Sarath Keshava Narayana. Okay, so this person is saying that the reason they've done it is because they're tired of hearing people being abused on the phone Americans or whatever are ringing up and they're not getting people with, you know, accents from New York or Alabama or wherever it might be. Yeah. And they're abusing these people who are generally based in Asia. OK, yeah. um, that was an example of what it can do in real time. You basically flip a switch and it turns what is an Indian accent, I assume, but very easy to understand, to my mind anyway, into a slightly more Americanized accent. Right. There are some critics of this who basically believe that the company, although it's well-intentioned, are moving in the wrong direction and there should be more education around tolerance of accents and that kind of thing. Now, I don't know what you think of that, but I think it's an interesting... It's a weird argument on... on, on the, the argument seems to be to, the, the best way to combat racism in this regard is to make everybody sound white, yes. uh, which is, you know, like... Why don't, you know, every, you know, anyone who isn't white scrub their skin white? You know, yeah. that's the logical extension of the argument, which is 
not really the way to go. At the same time, on a practical level, you know, and probably we've all had that experience. Yeah. You're on a customer helpline and you can't quite figure out the person. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've spoken, God, even in the, let's call it the more immediate English-speaking world, people from Glasgow can be very difficult <laughs> to understand. They actually don't speak English. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, so, so I can, you know, I can, I can understand it in a way. Yeah, and yeah. they're running with it. I mean, the, the company is saying that currently around a thousand people are using the technology, mostly in the Philippines and India. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a thing that just happens, to be honest with you, regardless of what the critics say. The thing is, though, is that it's really easy to spot what, you know, that it is this kind of slightly yeah. tinny, mechanized sure. voice. Yeah. So there would be uh, questions. People will know you're that. using it. Because mm. I wonder if any, you know, I suppose if a big company comes along and says, right, we're going to use this now, that would be... Uh, Maybe controversial. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I imagine even definitely controversial. Right. Uh, uh, this is an interesting story. Myanmar we're going to next. The former UK ambassador there has been arrested. Yeah, this is a woman by the name of Vicky Bowman. Uh, she's lived in Myanmar for the guts of 30 years. She's worked in various different things. But between 2002 and 2006, she was the UK ambassador there. Okay. So um, she's long retired, so 16 years retired, and she's uh, she's involved in various other things. Uh, I think the Myanmar Centre for Responsible Business is an organisation that she runs, OK? During her time there, she married uh, a local Burmese artist and a former political prisoner, a man by the name of Hietin Lin, all right? So he's obviously on the radar when it comes to people that the regime, which is in place at the moment, mm. don't like, all right? Now, she has been arrested... Um, because she broke the rules of her visa, right? Very simply put, she was supposed to be living at one address for the length of her visa, which was from October 21st last year to October 22nd this year. But they discovered that between May the 4th and August 10th, she was living at another address, okay? And for that reason, she broke the terms of her visa. They leave it nice and loose so they can, you know, they can do these kind of things. Uh, And she's been arrested. And it happened on the same day that the British government imposed new restrictions, new sanctions on the junta um, for the awful things that they're doing in the country, including with the Rohingya, obviously. Okay, and um, now being a former diplomat, she has no immunity, presumably. No, not at all. But I I wouldn't think she does anyway. But it doesn't mean that strings will be pulled in order to get her out. And it's interesting because the way that the spokes... uh, people for the government in Myanmar have framed this is that they're saying that her husband forced her to do this. So I reckon what may well happen is they're leaving a lifeline open there for her to get out, but they'll keep him in prison. And he may well have been the real target uh, of, of, of the arrest. Bit of a problem for her. She's hardly going to kind of leave the country and say, my husband forced me to do it. Well, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Awful position to be in. Anyway, uh, what should we look out for over the coming week? Yeah, uh, a few things coming up. Uh, on Wednesday, the President of Azerbaijan and the President of Armenia are meeting the European Commission's President, uh, uh, Michel. Uh, what's his first name? I can't remember. Anyway, I know yeah. I know his face. Glasses, bald. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, I can't remember that could be anyone. But anyway, main thing is that those two presidents are meeting up because there's been a lot of tension between them over the last few months. There was an all-out war, in fact. Yeah. So there's still tension and uh, there'll be talks on that. Um, and then Monday is the 50th anniversary of the attack on the Israeli Olympic team by Palestinian mm. gunmen, which killed 11 Israelis 50 years since that happened. Word. Uh, Jonathan, thanks a million. Thanks, As ever, you are listening to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk. Coming up after the break, is creativity in children being killed by a toilet roll manufacturer? 
Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm. On News Talk.